You can have your seat. The thing I love about when we get together and we, um, we gather as a church and we sing these songs of worship to God is that one of our values as a church is diversity. Um, and, and people always ask me, well, what, what does that mean? Like, what does it mean that you say that you're a diverse church or that you strive to be a diverse church? And I always say that we mean diverse in every way. Um, and one of the neat things about when we gather together to worship is that, you know, we're all from different walks of life, right? Some of us have been walking with the Lord for a long time, right? And, and then some of us have been, are just beginning this walk with the Lord. And then there's others who have yet to begin their walk with the Lord. And at Tri-City Church, we're committed to being a diverse church in every way, a place where all three of those can come together and sing these songs of, of worship to God. And maybe you're here and you're like, well, I, I, like, I'm reading that, but that's not really my feeling in my relationship with God yet. Um, and that's okay, um, because there's space for all of us to get together and to recognize that we're, we're all on a journey. And no matter where you are, Tri-Cities Church is a place where you can come, where you can gather with others who are on the same journey, who've been where you are, and are willing to hold your hand, to walk with you, to encourage you. Um, it's a place where you can come and know that you don't have to do this journey alone. And God is doing some incredible things. Amen. Well, this morning we're continuing our series uh, from the Sermon on the Mount. Actually, we're ending our series from the Sermon on the Mount. Um, yeah, amen. That, for me, that's an amen. Now, now, this is just my personality, right? So I, I'm one of these guys where, where things grow old really quickly, right? And so I, I promised that I was not going to uh, have a sermon series that was over four weeks long. And then as soon as I decided that, I felt kind of the need, maybe a compulsion, maybe it was a spiritual thing from God, right, to preach through the Sermon on the Mount. And I was like, and we struggled. We were like, how can we get this to be as short as we possibly can? Because it just grows old to me, right? But we need it to, we need it to touch the different areas in the Sermon on the Mount. And that's Matthew chapter 5, chapter 6, and chapter 7. And so I don't know how many weeks we've been in this, but I think it's been at least eight. And, uh, and it's been good. But for me, there's so much more that I'm um, anxious and excited uh, to be teaching about and to be able to share with you as we read through the scriptures. And so this morning, we're completing this series. It's a series simply called Seriously. Uh, read back through the Sermon on the Mount sometime during your free time. Uh, and kind of what we're saying here is that... Uh, what Jesus does is, is he teaches in such a way that those who heard what he said, especially those who heard what he said for the first time, their reaction or their response would have been seriously. Like, seriously? Is, that, is, he, really, is he really saying what I think he's saying? And I believe in many ways Jesus is saying things to us today that will make us say the same thing. All right, so we're continuing this series, finishing this series. Matthew chapter 7 is where we'll begin in verse 24. But let's pray before we get there. God, we give you thanks uh, this morning. Uh, we give you thanks that we can come in this place from different walks of life. That we can come in this place at different places in our lives. God, that we can express our emotions to you. That we can sing songs that we cry out to you. Maybe we're crying out for your help. Maybe we're crying out in praise to you. God, we're also thankful that we can come in this place where we can ask questions safely about who you are. Without fear of judgment. Without fear of harsh criticism or correction. 
Because just as you led your disciples, just as you have led people for generations upon generations, we can be assured of the fact that you will lead us and that you've created the church to be a community where people are safely led into an understanding of your word and who you are. It's in your son, Jesus Christ's name that we pray. Amen. All right, so, so in 1995, a group of uh, seniors who were graduating from Harvard University uh, got together in a room. And these were MDiv students, um, Masters of Divinity. It's a, it's a program that's used to prepare students for ministry. And so this group of graduating seniors, shortly before their graduation, they gathered in a room for a worship service. Now, if you can imagine where these students are, they've been in seminary for at least three years. They've learned more about God than they probably thought was possible, right? They've read tons of books, many pages. They've learned a lot of information about God. In fact, they've passed all their tests. They've done all the requirements for graduation. But there was one thing that they were lacking, and it was an experience with God. And so this group of seniors in an event that wasn't sponsored by the university, but they gathered in this room for this worship service where they would experience God like never before. And they found in that room a new freedom that they had never experienced before. They began sharing with one another and praying with one another and calling out for God in a way that they had never called out for God before. And it was quite evident that there was something different. Later, it was, uh, it's been reported in a number of different ways that the difference that day was that these students were using the drug known as ecstasy. And they had a spiritual, spiritual experience with God. Now, try to remove for a moment whatever thought may be going through your head, right? <laughs> Whether it's these liberal Ivy League students, right? Some of us may be thinking that. Or whether you're thinking, how could these students who were preparing for ministry use an illegal substance? Try to remove from your head all those thoughts that may be, may be going on and you may be thinking about. And let's get down to the core of what was really happening there. Because I believe what happened there is a symbol or a sign of a change that's taking place in our culture. And that's that information is good, but experience is better. We live in a culture where information is good. You can give me all the information, but that information is validated by my own experience. These students had received all the information that Harvard had to offer them, but that information had yet to be validated until they had this spiritual experience with God. And then they could say, I know God to be real, not because I learned about him sitting in a pew or a seat or in a classroom, but I know God to be real because I experienced him. You see, these students were craving and experience with God. Experiences have a tendency to validate things. You see, there's a change that's taking place in our culture. It's a major change, and we might not realize it because we're all born into our, this society and born into this culture, and we're all shaped by it. 
You see, there was once a time where absolute truth was the thing, right? We all believed that there was a truth that was valid for all people, universally valid, that there was beliefs, values, and morals that were universally valid, that they could be applied to, to everyone's life. And this became known as absolute truth, that there was a truth that was true not just for me, but for you and for the person sitting next to you and for everyone, that there were beliefs that were, that were true, right? And, and I think that we can't deny the fact, right, when we get together and talk about this, we can't deny the fact that there is a such thing as absolute truth. There are things that are just, just true and right. right? Just, just a very simple example, seven is always going to be greater than three. That's always, in every case, going to be true. Well, let's talk about maybe a little more serious example. Maybe you followed the news this week and heard about that, um, that I think it was a teenage uh, young man who, uh, who shot the, the baby in the stroller. I think it was in Brunswick, Georgia, and they had the case this week in Cobb County. I think that we can all agree that it's true that murder, particularly the murder of young children, is wrong, that it's evil. So there is a sense that we do have absolute truth, but this concept of absolute truth has gotten a bad rap in our culture, primarily because the way it's been used and the label that's been given to it. You see, absolute truth, this idea that there's universally valid beliefs, values, and morals has been used to oppress and to abuse and has been used to justify hate crimes against certain people and races and backgrounds, people with different stories that don't line up with our own story. And so this concept of absolute truth has begun to gain this bad rap in our society. And increasingly what we're seeing is this ideal or concept of um, truth as relative. That means it's based out of our individual experiences. Information is good, but experience is better. And so we find in this society that we kind of reject some of the information, and that's a tendency that we've all been influenced by in, in our particular culture that we're living in now, that we, we kind of reject the information unless it's validated by an experience, unless we have an experience to back it up and make it feel like it's real and valid and authentic. And so truth now, in many ways, our society, our culture has made space for all different kinds of truth. In fact, think about maybe your own interactions with people. I believe whatever I believe because I've experienced it. That's my truth. But we make space for all kinds of other truths. And increasingly, this ideal of relativism is gaining traction is some of our long-held truths are either uh, proven to be inaccurate or they're used in destructive ways. As people are abused in the name of truth, people are more inclined to back away from this ideal of truth, to stop sharing their beliefs publicly, to stop even sharing their faith and religious beliefs. Just think about that. Growing up, what are the two things, right, that you could not talk about publicly unless you are ready for a conflict? It's religion and it's politics, right? Those are two things that you got to be careful about because everyone has their own individual beliefs and their beliefs are validated by their experience. All this has led to a culture 
where there's kind of an, this air of skepticism, right? There's this air of skepticism where we want to test something out and try it to see if it's real and authentic. We're less likely than the generations that came before us to simply accept the beliefs, the morals, the values of the previous generation. We want to test them out to see if they have merit in our own lives. It doesn't matter if my mother believed or if my father believed or my grandmother believed it. We're testing out, right? They're testing out these morals, values, these absolutes. We're testing them to see if they're valid, to see if they have meaning and significance in our life. We're being, beginning to reevaluate these long-held truths. We're beginning to renegotiate with our very foundation that we're standing upon. It's in this culture that what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 7 is particularly relevant. Because Jesus, in the beginning of this section, this closing section of the Sermon on the Mount, he tells this story about foundations. And it's in Matthew chapter 7, verse 24. And if you have your Bible, you can turn there with me. And if not, you can uh, look up on the screen behind me because it'll be up there. In Matthew chapter 7, verse 24, let me read this for you. It says, Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on a rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house. Yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the wind blew against and beat against that house, and it fell down with a great crash. You see, Jesus is teaching here that your foundation is the truth that you've chosen to build your life upon. In fact, Jesus is challenging us to take this introspective look at our own lives and see the foundation that our lives are built upon. You could even take this same scripture and you could replace the word house with life. Let me do that and just read it for us again just to see how it sounds. It says, therefore, whoever hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his life on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew against that life or his life, yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his life on sand. The rain came down, the streams arose, and blew against and beat against that life or his life. And it fell with a great crash. You see, Jesus is challenging us to take this introspective look at our own lives and see what the foundation of our lives or what foundation our lives are resting upon. Because the reality here and what we see is that you can build your life on different foundations. The reality is you can build a house on different foundations. In fact, you may be able to get a house that's standing on a foundation that lacks integrity. In fact, there could be two houses, identical houses built on two totally different foundations. And the thing that makes the difference 
is that house's ability to weather the storm. I love what Jesus does here because he speaks to the reality that we all face in life and that's that there is a storm coming. That there is a storm coming and there's nothing that we can do about it. There is hardship, there is struggle, there is adversity on the horizon and all the righteousness, all the obedience, all the faith is not going to keep that storm from progressing our way. The only thing that will help, the only help that we have in this life is the foundation that our lives are built upon. And so Jesus is challenging us to take a close look at the foundation of your life. To see what it's built upon. Because the wise man builds his house on the rock, on the belief in Jesus Christ, on the teachings of Jesus Christ. And so what Jesus is doing here at the end of this sermon, essentially what he's doing at the end of this sermon is saying, don't forget what I've told you, because that's your foundation. Don't neglect the things that I've been teaching you. Because that's your foundation. You know, the Sermon on the Mount is extremely important for those of us who want to withstand the storm. It's a passage that we need to read time and time and time again. There's things here that we need to commit to memory that we just need to know because those are the things that are going to help us stand when the storm comes instead of waiting before it's too late. And the storm has already arrived. And we find ourselves being shaken at the very core. You see, Jesus is challenging us. Take this deep, introspective look at your own life. Look and see what's going on there. And in fact, this is what he's been doing for the entire Sermon on the Mount. He's been challenging those who listen to him to look back at their own lives You can even look with me in Matthew chapter 5, and we'll just kind of briefly look an overview at the Sermon on the Mount. In Matthew chapter 5, a text that we didn't hit so heavenly about salt and light, it says, You are the salt of the earth, but if salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light so shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. This is one of my favorite passages of Scripture because here Jesus is challenging us to look at our own lives and see how, in a sense, how salty we are, right? How much flavor we're adding to the environment around us. And see, if there's really light coming from us, and this means we take an introspective look to see what's on the inside, to see what's happening in there, in that way only are we able to be salt and light. Or in Matthew chapter 6, there's another passage, verse 1 actually in that chapter, he says, Be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. If you do, you have no reward 
from your Father in heaven. Remember what we said when we touched on this passage several weeks ago. We said that he's challenging us to practice these spiritual disciplines, prayer, fasting, uh, in, in, in private, and giving in private, so that by our private practice, our motive will be revealed. So that by our private practice, the very things of our heart, the thoughts of our heart, will be revealed. Jesus is constantly challenging us to take an introspective look at our own lives, to look at what's going on on the inside. And then again in Matthew chapter 7, Jesus does uh, the same thing in Matthew chapter 7 in a very uh, more, more upfront way. He says, do not judge or you too will be judged. This is in verse 1. For the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when all the time there's a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite, first take the plank out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Again, Jesus is challenging us. Take this deep, introspective look at your own life and the foundation that it's built upon. Instead of looking at the lives of others and being critical and judgmental, Jesus is saying, look at your own life. Test your own foundation. Because the foundation is everything. The foundation is everything. Some of you know a couple of weeks or a couple of months ago, several months ago, we purchased a house right around the corner from here off of Montrose, about a little over a mile around the corner. Uh, we, we purchased a house and um, we thank God that it's been a rainy summer because because of the rain, we discovered that the basement floods. And the people who've owned the house, they bought it in order to flip it. And they said that we've never even seen the basement flood before. Um, but because of all the rain that fell, uh, this summer, uh, right before our inspection, the basement flooded. And our inspector came in and he saw the water in the floor of the basement and he noted it on his inspection. And then when we were doing our appraisal, the appraiser came in. He did the same thing. And then our mortgage lender wanted us to get a, a structural engineer out to test the foundation, to make sure that the foundation of this house was solid. Because on the outside, right, it could look okay. It could appear that everything is fine. But only a structural engineer, somebody that could see the foundation and could look for the right cracks and see what was going on in the foundation of that house uh, would be able to notice what was really going on, what the condition or the integrity of the foundation that that house was sitting upon really was. And then if its foundation was weak or if its foundation lacked integrity, it would affect the value of the house. You see, our lives, we may appear to be going okay. Everything may look like it's fine. And in fact, in comparison to the other houses around us, everything may seem just fine. In comparison to the lives of everyone else around us, our lives may seem just fine because two identical houses can be built on totally different foundations. And that's what Jesus is teaching here. He's challenging us to look at the foundation to see whether we are following Christ and to continuously work at it. You see, I love this part about 
on the life in Christ. And that's that, that God does not God does not expect us, nor does God require of us that overnight everything in our lives are made right. You see, this is the very essence of the gospel. You see, the gospel is the story of Jesus Christ who came and lived this perfect life. He did no wrong. He was righteous in the truest sense of the word. And then this is what that God did. He said, my righteousness is now your righteousness. That my perfection is now your perfection. The Bible uses this theological term called justification to talk about that. That we are justified. Anytime you're reading through the scripture and you hear, come across this word justified, that's what it means. It means that God has literally covered us in his righteousness. So even while we were standing on an unstable foundation, a foundation that was lacking integrity, even while we were on the sand and the storm was on the horizon, God has covered us with his righteousness and has encouraged us, challenged us, commanded us even to change the foundation that we're standing upon. And he gives us time. He gives us opportunity. And the scriptures are constantly challenging us to think and to know that the time is now to begin to change to begin chasing after God. As the song that we sang said, to begin leaving certain things behind and making the commitment that I won't go back. And to progressively come from that place where we are, where we might be able to say, I've seen the words of those songs, I'm, I'm reading them, but that's not how I feel. But I'm on this journey. And then coming to that point where I'm able to say, I've been here for a couple of years and I'm feeling a little better about this God thing, right? And then to get to the point where it's, yeah, I'm, I'm singing this from the depths of my heart. These are genuine, true emotions that are coming out of my life. And a love that I have for God. It's a journey. And it's a journey where we can know that once we give our lives to Christ, once we commit ourselves to being built on the rock, the foundation of God, that we're safe there. And that no storm, no adversity, no pain, no struggle can remove us from the rock. Because it's the rock of our salvation. You see, what Jesus is challenging us here to do at the end of the Sermon on the Mount is to answer this very important question. And that is, what are you going to do with Jesus? What are you going to do with Jesus? You see, we live in a society where we are bombarded, especially here in the South. We're bombarded with the story of Jesus. It's almost unavoidable. You see churches on every, maybe not every corner. I sound like one of these guys. Yeah, churches on every corner. There's churches on many corners, right? There's a lot of churches in Atlanta, in this area, right? 
and we know people. It's almost impossible not to run into somebody that has faith in Jesus Christ and will share their story. And there's churches that you can go in, a different church probably every day of every Sunday of the year. Right? The story of Jesus is present. And what Jesus is challenging us to do, those who hear this story, is to answer that very important question. And that's, what are you going to do with Jesus? And I want to challenge you to think about that question this week. To think about, what have I done with the story of Jesus? And what am I going to do tomorrow and in the days ahead with this story about Jesus? Am I going to believe it? Have I come to believe it? How has it changed my life? Will it continue to change my life? What will I do with this story? Because it determines your foundation. We live in this world where information is good. Experience is better. But the challenge that we have here in following Jesus is a countercultural one. Because there are going to be times when you're not going to feel like following Jesus. And maybe you've come to Tri-Cities Church and it's a new church and you found this new excitement and this new love for being a part of a Christian community. But there's a time that's coming when your new church is going to become your old church, right? And it may be a little harder to get up out of the bed and it may be a little harder to follow Jesus. And you can't base your faith, your foundation upon an experience Right? There's coming those sobering moments in life. And what Jesus is challenging us to do is to build our lives on the foundation of Jesus Christ while we are sober, right? Not while we're on a spiritual high, not when the experience gives us no other option, but to build our lives on the foundation, on the rock, while we are sober. Apart from some supernatural or special spiritual experience, to build it upon the rock because we have a relationship with God. And we've come to know and believe that he walks with us every step of the way. You know, I love um, when you read through the scriptures, you hear this, this story of how Jesus would spend time with his disciples. There were these guys that were following him and they were learning about his way of life. And Jesus was constantly spending time with them. He always made time for them. Maybe it was a question that they had, or, or maybe they, were such, they just wanted to go with Jesus and to see what he was doing. He lived this extremely open life, and he welcomed them to come and to learn from him. And that's because he knew that he was the foundation that their lives needed to be built upon. And the scriptures talk a lot, at least Jesus talks a lot about persecution that is coming. He knew that the storm was coming for his disciples. And he wanted them to know the truth, that their lives might be founded upon it. I love that picture of the Lord's Supper. It's actually kind of funny when you think about it. Maybe you've seen the painting or, or different pictures, different artist renditions of the Lord's Supper. There's this picture of these guys. Jesus is typically at this table sitting right in the middle. And there's these 12 guys that are sitting around him. And what's awkward about that photo that we rarely ever recognize is that it's like they're all looking at the camera. 
right? Nobody's back is, is facing the picture, right? Everybody's kind of sitting around looking forward at, at, at the camera. There was no camera, but, you know, that's the artist's rendition. Um, but what that moment was really like was not about a group of men sitting in linear fashion along one side of a table, but they were doing what they had done from time to time over the past three years, and they were sitting around a table with one another. They were sitting around a table with one another, and there Jesus was sitting there with them, the cornerstone, the very thing that held that group together, the very foundation of their life, the one whom they had chosen to build their life upon. And the cool thing that was happening was that they were able to look one another in the eye and they were able to see what each other was, what each, each one was going through and the pain that each one was feeling. They were able to, there's something special when you look someone in their eye and you're able to see what's going on in their lives. And they were able to be there for one another because they sat around a table with one another, because they looked each other in the eye, because they encouraged one another. And more than anything, because Jesus was sitting around that table with them, that he was looking them in the eye and he knew the very pain and the struggle and the hardship and the joy and the excitement and the happiness that they were experiencing and going through in life. And because of that, Jesus was able to become the cornerstone, the one that held that group together, the one that held their lives together through every storm through every adversity. You know, on Sunday mornings, we gather around these tables and we don't sit like uh, Jesus and his disciples did around a big table. And maybe one day we'll pull some big tables in this space and move the chairs and sit around and share communion together with one another. That would be, that would be nice. <laughs> um, but we do gather with one another. And when we gather, Jesus is our cornerstone. He's the one that holds this church together. He's the foundation upon which it's being built. Jesus is our cornerstone. He's the one that holds our lives together. He's the foundation upon which our lives are being built. You see, Jesus is challenging us here to take an introspective look at your own life, examine the foundation. See whether it's being built on the foundation of Jesus Christ because he is the cornerstone, the one that holds it all together. Now our worship team is going to come back up and there's these four tables around the room and communion has been pre prepared and whenever you're ready, if you're comfortable, feel no pressure to go to a table and share in communion. But if this is something that's meaningful to you and in your life, whenever you're ready as we sing this song, just make your way to one of these four tables and share in that moment with Jesus where you can be confident and sure that he's looking you in the eye and he knows the very things that are on your mind. and He knows what you're going through in life. Please pray with me. God, we give you thanks. We give you thanks that we're able to come to the table with you. That we're able to come to this table with you and know that you are the foundation upon which we stand. 
God, please help us not to run in the time of the storm, but to cling more firmly to the foundation, knowing that you won't allow any adversity, pain, or struggle to destroy the foundation on which we stand and that our lives, just like the house built by the wise man, will endure the storm. It's in your son, Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen.